0: I'm going to ask you this morning, I'm sure you have at some point in time, but when you have read a book, or maybe a newspaper article, or maybe something that captivated your interest as you were thumbing through a magazine, but anyway, when you read it, It kind of ignited something in your inner person, and you found yourself maybe through the coming hours and the days thinking about what you have read. I'm sure you have experienced that at some time or another. The verse of scripture I'm going to read to you this morning affected me that way just a few weeks ago. I know that I have read it many times, but this time I saw it in a different light. It's like the Word of God takes opportunity on special occasions to illuminate the Word in you for a particular thing. And so I'm going to read to you from Psalms 25. verse 14. All I'm asking you to do this morning is to listen with an attentive ear because I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to say something to us collectively and individually. Psalms 25 and 14. The secret Of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. I know you can see it on the overhead, or you can follow it in your Bible. But let me share it with you once again. The secret of the Lord is with those. A unique, a special, a chosen group of people. Who are they? Those who fear him. And because they fear him, he will show them his covenant. Amen. When I read this verse of scripture, I pondered it. For quite a while and I came to this personal conclusion that this could be one of the most amazing verses in the Bible by simply putting into one sentence the incredible plan of God that he has purposed for humanity. We're here in this verse Two things are interwoven. First, the secret of the Lord, and then covenant. Now, this combination has been created as a unity with God and man into a stronger, what I refer to as a bond of friendship. And the friendship is achieved only through a covenant that has been provided and sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now what I see here is that God is represented as bringing to those who fear him his own message. In other words, God is not going to depend on another resource to relay what he wants his people to hear. He is going to tell them himself. We human beings have a tendency that if we hear something and we try to relate it, we mix our own flavor to it we dress it up or dress it down. We interpret it as we feel we want to. God is not going to leave his word to anyone but himself, and he's going to reveal that word. There's a reason for that, because God, and I believe very strongly in the time we are in right now, is calling his children into a deeper interrelationship. Wherein he communes what? His purpose. I hope that all of you realize, and I'm sure you do, God has a purpose. Not only in a general sense, but in an individual sense. You're here this morning. It's not an accident. You're breathing this morning by the grace of God. You're able to be what you are through the mercy of God. We are the byproduct of his purpose. There is a destiny that God has for every one of us, wherein he communicates his purpose. The psalmist said, He will. He will show them his covenant. In other words, he will read his own decree. He will be his own interpreter. So then to be admitted into this kind of confidence. Now think of this with me. God is placing his confidence in someone. I don't place my confidence in just anyone. I don't know about you. First of all, let me tell you this. Confidence is not something you are born with. Confidence is something you acquire through relationship. When you've learned something about someone, their actions, their mannerisms, their speech, their honesty. And when you have gleaned that knowledge, you place confidence in them. God has confidence in you. That is not to say we're perfect. We make mistakes. We err. We do sin. But God still believes in us because he has entered into covenant with us. And once God has given his word, he will not change that. It doesn't make any difference what you do. The question is what he does. So he has confidence in you. The psalmist is informing us that there are certain people whom God delights to honor, that he delights to favor, to release trust and confidence in. I began to ask the Lord, well, what kind of people would you choose? Now, I'm going to tell you something, and I'll be honest with you, if I may. If I were in the choosing business, neither would I choose you or would I choose myself. But I'm not God. He chose you knowing everything there is to know about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he still chose you. He knew the failures and the mistakes we were going to make. Christ knew that Peter was going to deny him before the cock crew three times but he still went to Calvary for Peter and the rest of us. Amen. So he knows what we are going to do. But who has God chosen? Well, the word of the Lord didn't leave it up to me to make that decision. It tells us, but God has chosen. Now, I'm not talking about our good pastor, this morning. I'm not talking about a church institution this morning. I'm not talking about what the government may do. I'm talking about God, the one that made everything you see and everything you have. God hath chosen. Whom did he choose? Someone strong and burly and muscular, good-looking, trained, talented, skillful? What would God choose? If there's a task to be performed, if there's a battle to be won, if there's a country to be conquered, if there's an enemy to be destroyed, who would God choose? God hath chosen what? The foolish things of the world, to put to shame the wise. Now, ladies and gentlemen, which one of us would do that? We wouldn't choose something foolish. We would want to choose something that had some intellect, some knowledge, some know-how about them. But you see, we're not God, because God knows in what he chooses what the ultimate outcome Is going to be. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put the shame, the things which are mighty. And the base things, and the things of the world, and the things which are despised, God hath chosen. And the things which are not, God has narrowed this choice down to the most minute by saying, I've even chosen the zeros of life. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, because God has chosen, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand. You know who you are by your own experience. But if God has chosen you, if you are the called out, if you've been brought out, as a song we've sung this morning, out of darkness, darkness so thick that you could not in no way find your way out. But God brought you out of darkness and we call it a marvelous light. If you know that for a fact, then I'm going to have to say to us, There should be deep in our souls. There should be a peace that is created through that relationship that no exterior force can diminish. A great deal has been said, and will continue to be said, about coronavirus. But I'm going to tell us something. Regardless of its existence or nonexistence, In we who have a relationship with him, there should be no fear, no question to his ability and capability because we have a relationship with him, a relationship of confidence, trust, integrity, sealed with his blood by his word, a God that will not change his word to suit the situation, but a God whose word stands regardless of the situation. The secret of the Lord is not related to future events. It's not a prophetic thing, nor the actions or interactions of history. And may I say this to you, it has nothing to do with the political arena, but it does mean that we in a relationship with him have an immutable confidence that regardless of the exterior God still reigns the phrase the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him it silently quietly portrays to us an undercurrent through a a portrait created in such a way that it is a certain element of people who have their heads together in a private sharing. A tight-knit group of intimate people, in essence, It is literally speaking a friendship, an atmosphere, a condition where there is trust, a place where it is safe to share one another's weakness and sorrows. I find no place like that on the face of the earth, like the body of Christ. For the word says to us, confess your faults one to another. I'm not going to confess something to you if I don't have confidence in you. Am I right? As long as I believe in you and know you have integrity, I will reveal the inner needs that are in me. This is what God is saying about fellowship. To sum it up, it speaks of faithfulness, loyalty, enduring friendship. So there is no soul, and I say this with no reservation, there is no soul which Jesus will not save, and there is no man that Jesus does not love. I know that we humans, because I'm a part of the family, we have tendencies to classify people, to classify them by origin, background, economy, color, religion. We put them in slots. But that, doesn't, that is not the way God works at all. There isn't a man, regardless of race, creed, color, origin, belief, or no belief, that Jesus Christ does not love. We classify sin. We say one sin is a black sin and another sin is a gray sin. That's your interpretation. Where God is concerned, sin is sin. Amen. There's no deviance in it whatsoever. So God doesn't separate people and say, because you're immoral, you're unacceptable. And because you're moral, I'll accept you. God shows no partiality. Amen. There is no sheep crying in the wilderness whom the shepherd will not leave the entire flock to retrieve. Yet as universal as his mercy is, stretched to the confines of all humanity, Christ has a special and peculiar friendship. I need you to understand, and I've said it as clearly as I can God is not biased. That is human made. It doesn't exist with God. He does not prefer one above another, regardless of appearance or status. He is not prejudiced. When it comes to humanity, the word of God is clear. For God so loved the world. That love is not surface. It's not shallow. It is a love that he describes this way. Greater love hath no man that he should lay down his life for his friend. The determining factor between being saved or lost becomes not God's choice. Why? Because in his flesh, upon that cross, when his last breath, his final words, the finale of his human existence, Was coming to an end. He simply said, It is finished. He is honestly saying, I have done everything I can do. There is nothing more that I or anyone can do for you. We think we can improve upon God's plan by our works. That's crazy. It is finished. He's done it all for us. You can't clean your act up and God smile at you and say, I approve you. You can't be raised on a church pew all of your life and say, God, that qualifies me. He said, it is finished. It's done. It's complete. Now then, because he finished it, the choice is yours. Whether you are saved or whether you are lost has never been determined by God. It is determined by your choice. Your choice. The secret. Now hear it again. The secret. The confidence of something God wants to entrust. The secret of the Lord is is with those who fear him. We normally do not associate fear with friendship. But what the Bible means by the phrase, the fear of the Lord, does not mean that we are terrified of him. I don't care what religion, theology, human mind has contrived. God is not a vindictive God. He's not out to get you. You don't have to live in fear of am I doing the right thing or going the right way or going to say the right thing. That is judgment pronounced upon yourself. God's not interested in that. Not at all. It is not fear that causes you to tremble. And yet, religion will use that tactic to control you, to control your mind and your emotion, to keep you into religious submission. But that's not the way God works. The fear of the Lord is simply this. It simply describes those who by choice Have entered into the circle of intimate friendship. Because the word fear means to stand in awe, to respect, to honor. If you come to this place or enter into your secret place, when you come in here, we don't come trembling, we come giving him the glory, we come giving him the praise, we come giving him the honor because we hear the Lord. The name of the Lord is our strong tower. It is a phrase that in the Old Testament it described the character of faith that we have in God. We stand in awe of him, giving him honor, adulation, it's worship. That's why Jesus, when he taught that universal prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he begins at how? Not by begging or pleading, but saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, giving him glory and worship. It reflects the idea that we trust him to keep the promise. Of that received secret so then faith is our response to his spoken promise amen for the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please him why because it is through faith and the experiences that develop out of it that we gain confidence that we know what God is is like I don't know about you I've never seen him I've never had a dream he's never entertained me on a personal level but I have confidence in him why because of what he's brought me through the trials I have gone through the illnesses I've endured the pain that I have suffered and when I knew no one else could help me to understand the one that said, I will never leave you and never forsake you, is right there. That's confidence, friend. I don't have to see him to believe in him. He's proven what he is out of a relationship of friendship. Amen. The secret of the Lord. The secret of the Lord is to those that fear him, and because of it, he will show them his covenant. You see, the purpose of a covenant is to be united with Christ. It is Christ's answer to his own universal prayer in John, the 17th chapter. When in that prayer he makes the statement And the glory, talking to the Father, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one, just like we are one. Until you understand that Jesus Christ is not at your side, he's in your life. Amen. You don't have to reach out for him. He's already here. We have to just draw on the in resource of what he said to the woman. It shall be in you a well of living water. He is not somewhere remote. I got a little revelation. It was childish, but it really did sink in one day when I was praying. I just said, Lord, here I am, an individual in my secret place, and there are hundreds, possibly thousands, somewhere out there that may be doing the same thing I'm doing. Don't you have a difficult time keeping all of these prayers sorted out? The gods almost spoke to me and said, no, because I'm in you. I'm just in you. And because I'm in you, I know your uprisings and I know your downsettings. I know every hair that is on your head. I know you more intimately than you know yourself. I don't have to beg God. I just have to release my confidence in my friendship with him. That they may be one even as we are one the covenant of God are not agreements between two parties it's not God saying Ralph Sykes do you agree with me on this he doesn't ask me for my opinion and I don't think he's asked you for yours because you see God started the covenant and God will end the covenant he's the one he did not just speak it design it, he will fulfill it. But it is wondrous, unbelievable, beyond my finite mind to even imagine that he made that promise to me. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. My faith to God will always be limited. Like my finiteness and my humanity. But his faithfulness to me, to you, is without limit and without measure. If any hymn, if I should go by the way of the grave that I once sung, is the old hymn that says, great is thy faithfulness. Friend, he's been more faithful to us than we have ever been to him, because God has made covenant with us. A covenant relationship with God is the equivalent of a legal promise. It is not a contract. Hear me now. It is not a contract, because a contract can have fine little print, amen, and people can tear up a contract. But you can't dissolve a covenant because it's signed by his life. Amen. It is the Lord's guarantee. The main objective of the covenant is to know him. I hope you'll stay with me now because I got two hours left. I'm joking just one and a half. The word know, we use it all the time. We use it in various forms. To know. In scripture it describes knowledge that comes by close observation, by intimacy. Knowledge gained through personal experience. It is not acquired by a book. You can read a book and never know the author. Am I right? You can read about a celebrity, or even about the president. But that doesn't mean you know him. Oh, you may have opinions about him, but you don't know him. To know someone, there's got to be intimacy there. That's what provides true understanding. It is a word, no, of intimacy, and the Bible describes it this way in Genesis 4 and 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife. That doesn't mean he shook her hand, he patted her on the back, or knew her by name. This is what the Bible says. Because he knew her, there was an intimacy between the two of them that made them a unit. They had become one in each other. And because of it, the Bible says, out of that, she conceived Cain. That's intimacy. That's a union of a man and wife. It's a relationship that no one else should infringe upon. No one knows my wife like I know her. Hello? No one knows your wife like you know her. Nobody knows me like she knows me. Why? There's an intimacy there. God is saying, through my covenant with you, I want there to be an intimacy An intimacy. You don't have intimacy by talking to one another once a week. Hello? You can nod your head one way or the other. But you don't have intimacy by seeing somebody on Monday and never speaking to them again until the next Monday. That's not intimacy. Intimacy is a relationship. It's an understanding of emotion and needs and feelings. Amen. God saying through the covenant, I want you to know me. Amen. And so to know me, I'm not going to create the circumstances of life. Life creates its own. But I'm going to show you what I can help you do in those situations. He never said, I'm going to bring you out. He said, I'm going to take you through. Because that's what teaches you intimacy. Amen. The prophets, if you read the Old Testament, they continually referred to the nation of Israel in a unique way. Now you see, when God wanted to do what he wanted to do, and forgive me for taking a sidestep here, but when God wanted to do what he wanted to do, he didn't call a nation out. Because all the nations on the earth, at that time, were totally pagan. So in order for God to get done what God wanted done, he knew there was only one way to do it. It had to be intimacy. He had to find one person who would enter into relationship with him. And through that one person... He would change the destiny of the world amen that is what God wanted and so the prophets refer to the nation that was now going to be born out of the seed of that one person by the name of Abram who believed God God said I have selected you not because you are rich or powerful or greater in number, more outstanding. He said, I have chosen you because I love you. That's the only reason. I've entered into a relationship with you. They got wayward, backslid went back to the heathen ways. And the Bible says, God said, do I need to give you a bill of divorcement? What is he saying? We have a marriage. We're one together. I know you. You belong to me. You get into the New Testament. And that great militant missionary, Apostle Paul, Who gives us great insight to the many truths of the Bible. He refers to what we are right now, the church, in a very unique way. The masculine gender may not like it, but that's the way it is. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ. Does that not speak of intimacy? That God is wanting a relationship with you. The intimacy we believe, believers have with Christ, is linked with the revelation of his purpose. And that purpose is this, it's found in John 17 and 3. And this is eternal life. This is. That they may know you. Eternal life is that we may know God. That we may enter in a relationship with him. My relationship with him is different than your relationship. Amen. My response to him is different than your response. But this is everlasting life that we might know him. The only true God and Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to close soon. But I can't close without bringing to your attention James 2 and 23. For the Bible says, And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and not on the basis of his works, but on the basis of his belief it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Who is Abraham? Well, let me tell you something briefly about him. From the cradle of ancient civilization, an ordinary, unknown member of an idolatrous worship society came a man called Abram. Seventy-five years he lived in paganism. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that will change your values. Your environment will change your life. Seventy-five years he was a pagan. I don't know how he heard from God. I know how I heard. But when God wants to do something, he knows how to do it. He was an idolater. He never built an empire. He wasn't a tremendous warrior. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a judge. He was a plain, common, ordinary man, 75 years of age. That's all. All the greatness of his name, which God changed, by the way, from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. Have you ever wondered why? All God did was put an H in their name. And the letter H in Hebrew represents Jehovah. So the man was now in covenant with his God. Amen. They are one and now the same. You will never be known as Abram again. You now, out of covenant relationship, you are now Abraham, my chosen one. Friendship. Friendship gives you rights. Friends will be honest with you, folks. Hello. A few of you nodding your heads. A few of you have said amen. The virus has got you. I know where you are at. But that's all right. Nobody will tell you the truth like a friend. Thank you. And Jesus is our friend. He'll tell us the truth. And when you have a friend, let me tell you something about true friendship. That doesn't mean you agree on every subject. Now, I love this man right here. I do. But I rather doubt if we agree on everything. If we did, boy, that's something. Because even in marriages, you don't agree on everything. And that's intimacy, right? Hello, heads are going this way, all right. But, you can disagree and still stay in relationship. Abraham disagreed with God. Amen. Because there was something God wanted to get done and Abraham was the only thing standing between him and the end result but they had a relationship and when God was going to come down to do it don't think for one moment because we have classified them as Sidonites that they should be literally immediately eliminated God didn't say, I'm going to do it immediately. This is the kindness of God. He said, I will go down and see for myself. You can have your opinion, but God is going to be the end result because he knows. I will see for myself. But when he came, before he ever Put his foot because he changed from divine to a human form he said can I do this thing and not inform my friend Abraham God can do anything he wants to but you see he's in covenant and when you're in covenant you don't change covenant to suit your emotion And when he got to Abraham, who now has the H-factor, he told him what he was going to do, what out of necessity he would have to do, because by God being what he is, he had the right to do it because he's holy. But I'm going to maintain my holiness and my judgment until someone who is my friend will intercede with me. That's all I'm asking you to do. Talk to me. Let's have a conversation together. Because you're my friend. Let me say this to you. You will never change God's mind. But when you have a talk with him, you can change his results. He can turn wrath into mercy. He can turn judgment into peace. He can turn sin into salvation. He can change misery into healing. All you have to do is have a conversation with your friend. And Abraham said, now wait a minute, Lord. And I'm going to get a little dramatic here. I have to because that's my nature. He said, now wait a minute. Shall the just judge of the earth Do justly? He's asking a question of God. You've asked me one. I'm going to ask you one. Will the just judge of the earth do justly? There's a sense of hesitation in that. Will you just do it unmercifully? Then he said, Lord, if there would be 50, if there would be 45, now that's talking to somebody. That's that's in disagreement with what God intended to do. But that's somebody talking to God. If there's 40, what if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? God never interrupted Abraham at all. When he got to 10, the Bible says that God looked at the man and he said, if there be Ten, I will spare that city for your sake. Why? Because you're in covenant with me. We've had a conversation. But Abraham didn't take it far enough because there wasn't ten in the city. I'm going to tell you something. My Bible tells me something about my rights. And it tells you the same thing if you'll read them. You've got rights, folks. Now we talk about in this epidemic, nobody's going to take my rights. Well, I'm going to tell you something. In the kingdom of God, you've got rights. The problem is you're not operating in your rights. You just assume. There is no assuming when you're in covenant. If that's the way it is and it doesn't change. And so you're right is this. You can come boldly. But I've stumbled today. But I've sinned today. But I've made a mistake today. That doesn't make any difference when you believe God. It's by your belief that you're made righteous. You can come boldly. That means you don't have to put your chin on your chest and bow your shoulders and feel insignificant and unworthy. You're made worthy by covenant. And the only one that has shamed you is the devil. Take hold of your rights, your covenant. You're in relationship with God. We have an intimacy, love affair going on. Come boldly. Come boldly. But you don't understand, and somebody said it this morning, that people justify their actions by saying, but you don't know how I've sinned. God couldn't care less. He'll scoop to any mire pit to dig you out because he loves you. To justify yourself and say, I'm a criminal or an addict or I'm a sexual perversion person, that doesn't give God any difference. God says, I will enter into covenant with you if you will believe that I'm able. He that believeth upon the Lord Jesus Christ. My God, we have rights, folks. And we're sitting around whining and crying and pacifying ourselves. Get up. We sang about an army. Let me tell you something. No army just crawls along, but that they march with command and order. And if that's what we are, then let's put our shoulders back and let's talk to this thing. Amen. You can talk, but I'm talking about let's really talk to him. Let's say... I'm not going to deal with this thing anymore. You're not going to have my children. You're not going to have my home. You're not going to have my church. You're not going to have our community. I stand against you. I'm in covenant. I'm in covenant. It has nothing to do with Calvary over the name of this building. It has everything to do with blood across your heart. Intimacy. How deeply in love are you with God is the question. How deeply in love are you? But he's done everything for us that could be done. Do we dare not believe him? I will reveal to who my secrets? Those who fear me. Do I have anyone in the house that fears the Lord this morning? Does anyone in the house fear the Lord this morning? Does anyone in the house fear the Lord this morning? Anyone in the house that fears Him, will those that fear stand? If you fear the Lord, get on your feet and say to you, Lord, I am in covenant with you. I will not be denied. I am not going to surrender my children to darkness. I don't care how bad the drug influence is. I'm not going to give up my children. I'm in covenant with you. I'm not going to let the world dictate to me what my financial outcome is going to be. I'm in covenant with you, Lord. I'm not going to have some doctor stand over me and say, medically, that's all we can do when I've got a great physician that said I will heal all your diseases. I'm in covenant with you. But brother, until you get bold and realize who you are, God will say, unless I won't know you. I won't know you. But you've got to be desperate Because the violent taketh the kingdom by force. They know who they are. Now, you've been quiet, and I appreciate that. But I think it's time to tell the Lord who we are, and how much we adore Him, and how we worship Him, how indebted we are to someone we could never repay. I think now is the hour that we need to throw our hands up and say, my God, I believe you are the God of your word and you will not lie. And if you believe it, if you truly believe it, you don't need to hire the pastor to lay our hand on you. The greatest hand has been laid on you already the hand of God. Amen. You can receive whatever you need right where you're standing if you're desperate enough to receive it because you're in covenant. If you're expecting me to pray your prayer, then I'm going to get your blessing and you won't. If you're intending on me to do your worshiping, then I'm going to get the glory and you're not. Brother, it's what you do that counts boldness. Come boldly before the throne of grace. And what does it say? Whatever your need, it doesn't classify it. It just uses one word to bring all things to mention. Your need. That need, in that hour of need, you shall find grace. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, my God. I could start running right now when I think about it. But I really think about what Almighty God has done for this old boy right here. Why should I wallow in self-pity when mercy reigns in this house? Do you love him? Do you truly, truly, honestly love the Lord thy God? Then let's end this service with worship that sounds like heaven till God bends his ear down and says, I hear the cries of my children. Amen. Worship him. Worship him. Worship him. Worship him. You can lift your hands. I don't care what you do, but just worship him. He's worthy. He is so deserving. Thank you, Jesus. My God, I thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. Right now, and I sense that I'm not a prophet, but I sense right now the Holy Spirit is here to break the barrier. But it will not be broken until you are determined to see it broken. You have got to break it. And the only way to do that is to send up the worship. For the Lord inhabits then the praises of his people. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I believe there's healing going on in this audience right now. There's answers to hours and days, months and weeks, years of prayers that are now being circulated in the atmosphere. And God's sending his angels. Because you're in covenant with him, folks. You're in covenant with God. And God is the God of his word. Father. My Father. My Father, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done in this earth as you've already established in heaven. Just simply forgive us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven others. You lead us not into temptation, but oh my God, you deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And I seal it with my word of confidence and faith. Amen. Man, God bless you. Pastor. 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 Thank you. You know what? Walk out of here with your friend this morning. Take him into your home. Let him sit down at the table with you. When you lay in the easy chair, let your friend to sit beside you. Have today, tomorrow, and the rest of your life in a friendship that is unlike anything anyone could ever have. God bless you this morning. Oh, I feel so much better. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. In Jesus' name. Amen.